Am I still, am I right? Pardon? I'm on. Oh dear, I was just going to say, am I right in still waiting here silently? <laughs> well, let's have a little prayer then, see where the Lord will take us this morning. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, that you're not a God of mystery. Father, that you're a God who reveals himself and his intentions and purposes towards us. And Father, we declare that you are the sovereign ruler of the universe and we are your people. And we above all, Father, should obey you without question. Forgive us, Father, when we don't. But Lord, straighten us up, cause us to fly right. We want to be the bride that Jesus, uh, that you've promised your son. We just want to be that bride that you've promised your son. So, Father, just take me where you will this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are. It's about the oomph of uh, June. It's about the 13th, isn't it? 13th of June. There they are. Gone. Oh, lovely. I've got a couple of themes running through my mind this morning. Uh, one of them is don't run without a message which ha I happened to trip over in, my, in yesterday's daily reading because I'm a day behind. Uh, and the other one is about giving and receiving offence. We talk about, talked about this before, about being offended. And often we're actually offended or scandalised. That is the, the root word is scandalo uh, in Greek, where we get our word scandalised. By God himself. Uh, because he said, didn't he, blessed are you if you're not offended at me. Uh, and he does offend us. He offends our minds to get to our hearts. He offends us because he asks us to do things we don't want to do. Uh, and generally he offends us. And offense leads to us wanting to go our own way. So guess who's at the bottom line of that? Uh, so it's two messages. The first one, I feel, probably is this one. And it, it I heard a message on this years ago. Uh, and it's about not running without a message. And I'm in 2 Samuel 18, and starting at verse 19. And there's two guys here. There's Ahimahaz, who's the son of Zadok. And there's Joab, the leader of the king's army. And you know, in, this, in the context of the story, Absalom has betrayed his father, drawn people away to him. Uh, and uh, subsequently, of course, Absalom has been killed, and David is waiting back in Jerusalem to see if there's news of his son. And in those days, they used to send a runner. Now, Ahimaaz, or Ahimaaz, was a good runner. He could run fast. However, he didn't have anything to run with, but run he wanted to, so this is how it goes. Now, Ahimahaz, son of Zadok, said, Let me run and take the news to the king that the Lord has delivered him from the hand of his enemies. You're not the one to take the news today, Joab told him. You may take the news another time. I'm reading from the NIV here. But you must not do so today because the king's son is dead. Then Joab said to a Cushite, Go, tell the king what you have seen. And the Cushite bowed down before Joab and ran off. Notice the Cushite saw something. So he had something to say because of what he'd seen. Ahimahaz didn't. So Ahimahaz, son of Zadok, again said to Joab, Come what may, please let me run behind the Cushite. But Joab replied, My son, why do you want to go? You don't have any news that will bring you a reward. He said, Come what may, I want to run. So Job said, Joab said, Well then, run. 
Then Ahimahaz ran by way of the plain and outran the Cushite. While David was sitting between the inner and outer gates, the watchman went to the roof of the gateway by the wall and he looked out and saw a man running alone. The watchman called to the king and reported it. The king said, if he's alone, he must have good news. And the man came closer and closer. Then the watchman saw another man running and he called down to the gatekeeper, look, another man running alone. King said, he must be bringing good news too. The watchman said, it seems to me that the first one runs like Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. He's a good man, said the king. He comes with good news. Then Ahimaaz called out to the king, all is well. He bowed down before the king with his face to the ground and said, Praise be to the Lord your God. He has delivered up the men who lifted up their hands against my lord the king. The king asked, Is the young man Absalom safe? Ahimaaz answered, I saw a great tumult or confusion. Uh-huh. Just as Joab was about to send the king's servant and me, your servant, but I don't know what it was. Stand over there, says the king. <laughs> You're a fat lot of good. You might have got here first, but you've got no message. You're running without a message. Then the Cushite arrived and said, My lord the king, hear the good news. The lord has delivered you today from all who rose up against you. The king asked the Cushite, Is the young man Absalom safe? The Cushite replied, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up against to harm you be like that young man. The king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. And as you know, he wept for Absalom. But the message of this passage really is don't run without a message. Don't run unless you're sent. Don't try to do something that God has not actually commissioned you to do because you haven't got a message. You'll run out of steam and what you'll end up doing is being on the fumes because you never waited long enough before the Lord to find out what it was he actually went to s wanted to say. Um, when you're given a word for someone, you need to distill that word before God ask him how he wants to present it how he wants to give it to the person when he wants to give it to the person timing is everything with the prophetic uh, you, you, you just must learn to hold things and you know it says in James doesn't it be more apt to listen than to speak and some of us can have a tendency to run off at the chops you know without listening first without hearing the full, and I talk to myself, the full story. Someone will start to tell me something. I think I've got what they're going to say. I butt in, and then when they continue, I find that actually I feel a bit of a lemon because they've just done what I've just said, and they've got more to tell me than that. So we do have to train ourselves to listen not only to people, but mostly to God, because we really must, and not only listen, but do it. It's one thing to hear it, but it's a totally different thing to do it. Um, you know, I've been saying, people have been coming to me recently, and God has been speaking and speaking and speaking and speaking until things come to a crisis point, and the whole thing blows open. Uh, but they've known that he's been speaking to them for a long time. I don't see the point in that, you know, really. How long's God been talking to you about it? Oh, about five years. And I think, who's a silly Billy then? <laughs> because it is going to come to crisis point. And as I said earlier on, before we came on to record, 
that if you don't deal with it in the privacy of you and God and whoever else is involved with it, he will make it public. And I've had that happen uh, with someone that I'm working with at the moment. It's at a high level. Something shouldn't been happening has been happening for a long time it broke off about two years ago but now because it was never dealt with it's coming it's it's coming out god's uncovering stuff and he does it publicly because we won't listen privately how many of you know hands up please that god speaks to us through each other yes we don't want to hear though, do we? We don't like the messenger. And we, do you remember what I said last week? The truth when it comes is always negative. We don't like it. I'm just exactly the same. When Joyce tells me and pulls me up on things, I think, I do not wish to hear that. Thank you very much. And then I go away and I say to the Lord, is there a grain of truth in this? Knowing full well there is. And he says, well, what's your thought life or whatever? Oh. Okay. So I have to tune myself to hear what is being said, not tune out what I don't want to hear, and then go away and say, Father, will you show me? Because it's a, it's a highway to nowhere. It's like taking a long walk off a short plank is what I'm seeing. You're carrying on walking like an, and, the, and the plank runs out and you're down in the drink. Because you've not been hearing what he's been saying. We must, must, must go to him and say, okay, what is it you're speaking to me about here? Because it's all an issue of the heart, you know. It's about what our heart's attitude is. And we can be very, very, very resistant. So blessed is he, Jesus said in Matthew eleven six, who does not take offense at me. So I just want to look at a couple of uh, examples uh, of 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 offence, there's one in the Old Testament I'm going to look at, and one in the in the New, really. And there's a little story I probably told it before um, that Bob Mumford tells about this girlie who was wedding day going up the aisle with a, with a on her dad's arm, and this lady prophetess in the church just disengages and goes up to the girl and says. I have a word from the Lord for you, dear. This marriage isn't going to last. So suddenly, from being absolutely certain this is the man that she wanted to marry and it was the right one, she goes up the aisle in a state because the enemy has sown. God has clearly spoken, but the enemy has come in with a word. And the long and the short of it was, within months the marriage broke up because she was always expecting that it wouldn't work. So she wouldn't work at anything because this word, so-called, and what she did was she got offended at the Lord because she believed he'd let her down. Because she was sure that this was the man she should marry, the enemy comes in with a word questioning it. She believes the word of the question and then gets offended at God and falls away. So game, set, and match to guess who? Because it leads to us wanting to go our own way. Um, so that's that one and it caused her to stumble in her relationship with God because how could she trust a God 
who would deceptively lead her into a wrong relationship and then abandon her. Because she believed this person. God will allow these things, he'll allow the enemy to speak things into our lives and it's up to us to really discern what's going on, you know, find out who's doing what to whom. Um, the word offence is a Strong's reference. Those of you who've got a Strong's one can look up 4624 in the Greek. And it means to put a stumbling block or impediment in the way upon which another may trip and fall. To entice to sin, apostasy or displeasure. To cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. To cause to fall away, to be offended in one. I.e. to see in another what I disapprove of and what hinders me from acknowledging his authority. To cause one to judge unfavourably or unjustly of another. One who stumbles or whose foot gets entangled feels annoyed. To cause one displeasure at a thing, to be displeased or indignant. Now that's what it, that's what it means. But if you turn with me please to 2 Kings 5, which is the story of Naaman. You all know about Naaman, don't you? Who was a leper. With me a little bit of string, as Graham would say. It's a good job I had a bit of string, he says, in my Bible, or I'd have lost my place. You heard that story of him when the Lord said to him, I want you in Psalm 91 now, Graham, until I tell you to stop. So that's all he would let him read. So one day he says, I've got a bit fed up. I'm with Psalm 91, I thought I'll have a bit of Tim. So he went into Timothy to have a see if he could read. And it all, his eyes all went. He couldn't read the thing. He said, luckily I had a piece of string in my Bible so I could find Psalm 91 again. <laughs> and the Lord said, Graham, I want you to learn something and I need you to stay in this place till I've taught you because it's where your warfare is going to be and you need to know. So when God's saying to you, stay, stay, don't run. So where we go? 2 Kings 5. This is the story of Naaman. And this is what uh, Jesus was referring to when he said that no, uh, when he talked about people getting healed and then Israelites had not been healed at all because Naaman was a Syrian, wasn't he? He was the only bloke that was healed in the Old Testament. Um, and he makes reference to this, which of course made the Pharisees air stand on in. They were really mad. Uh, so 2 Kings 5, now where we are. I'll pick up at verse 6, 2 Kings 5, 6. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel. So the, the, Naaman's, he's got leprosy. Back to verse 5. So the king of Syria said, go now. And I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. They brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. <laughs> and it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. And so it was when Elisha, the man of God, 
heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes, you silly what's it? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. You will know that the prophets were actually more powerful than the kings in those days because they were the ones who were there to straighten the kings out because they were the ones who heard what the Lord had to say, went to the king and told him. Get it with uh, David, don't you, and Nathan the prophet, um, when he comes and says about the, the little ewe lamb that the man had taken. And, of course, it was Bathsheba and how he'd... Uh, uh, then murdered the husband and all of that. So the prophet was a very powerful man in the Old Testament, also quite a target for the enemy. And so Naaman comes, you see, and here he comes with all his horses and his chariot, and he stands at the door of the house of Elisha, wait for the offence. And Elisha sent a messenger out to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious. And went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me, stand, call on the name of his God, wave his hand over the place, and heal the leprosy. He had an expectation that did not come to pass. And he was furious. He was offended. Never mind about his healing, he got himself in an offence. Are not the Abana and the Farfa, the rivers of Damascus, Far better than all the waters of Israel. Not washing in that filthy Thames. I'm not going to go in there. Could I not wash in them and be clean? And he turned away and went away in a rage. And you know the story. Uh, the uh, servant comes and says, Father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, wouldn't you have done it? Whoops, right at the pride. How much more then, he says, when he says to you, wash and be clean. So realising what a fool he is, he goes down and dips seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. And so that's absolutely brilliant. There's a cleansing and he gets healed. But first of all, he was scandalised. He was offended because he had an expectation that this man was going to come out and do all these five things. He was going to come out. I mean, I'm an important man. He's going to come out and uh, call on the name of his God and stand there and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. That was his expectation because it didn't go the way he went. He wanted it to go. He was offended. How many of us, when it doesn't go the way we expect God to do, get offended at him? So now Matthew, I think it's Matthew eleven six. And we're going to have a look in a minute at the offence that John the Baptist took. is the actual scripture Matthew 11:6 John the Baptist is in prison uh, let's start from verse 2 and then when John heard in prison about the works of Christ he sent two of his disciples and said to him are you the coming one or do we look for another and Jesus answered and said to them go and tell John the things which you hear and see the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And then he says the most unusual thing, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. John was scandalized. 
he was expecting Jesus to come um, and bring a liberation, a national liberation to the nation of Israel who was, you know, were in captivity to the Romans at this time, uh, though they wouldn't admit it. Um, and so he was singing from a, a different hymn sheet. He'd been preaching fire and brimstone, judgment is coming, God is going to winnow, pan is in his hand. He'd been preaching all this. So when Jesus actually reveals himself, he thinks, right, whoopee, this is it. But he's doing something different. And it caused John to stumble. So Jesus says, blessed is he who is not offended or scandalized because of me. He didn't fulfill his expectations. Instead, he spoke of love and fatherhood. Rat sandwich, it went down like. So when we're looking at these things, what we're looking at is uh, three particular roots. The first one is our personal opinion. It's how we think that it should be going to turn out. I was speaking to someone yesterday and I thought, you're setting yourself up for disappointment, lovely. Uh, but I thought, I'm not going to say anything because she was an older lady, much older lady, and I thought it wouldn't be um, nice, wouldn't be kind. But what she was interpreting was the way that prayer was being answered. And all I could hear was, I believe, I believe, I believe. And I thought, not God has said, God has said, God has said. I believe, I believe, I believe. I believe that this is the fulfillment of what I've prayed. I believe, I believe, I believe. And this particular lady, I understand from her his historically, believed that her mother was going to be healed of cancer. But her mother died. Fast forward about 50 years, she believed that her husband was going to be healed of cancer. He died. So I hear an yesterday, I believe, I believe, I believe. And I thought, this, I wonder if we're on to the third thing now. And the problem of personal opinion is the problem of privately interpreting God's actions and written word in a way that it's narrowly individualistic. And therefore, it's likely to be biased. In other words, we've got our own philosophy, our own agenda about how he's going to answer any particular prayer. Because I've prayed like this, he must answer like that. You know, So we're setting ourselves up for disappointment when we do that. Absolutely. And it's usually personal advantage as well and personal convenience. They both come into it. Um, because we want... Uh, what's in it for me? And then the things that lead from that are disillusionment and disengagement from God. Because he hasn't done what we thought he should, we actually disengage. So we step away, and it's the natural response of distancing ourselves from an offending person or party. Someone offends us, we distance ourselves. Um, so... That is that is the way it goes. We take offence and then we won't speak to them or uh, connect with them or hear what they've got to say because we are offended. Um, remember that years ago we had a, um, a book here, didn't we, with scand scandal scandalised across the front page, wasn't it? 
lost the run of it now. It's probably around here somewhere. We don't throw much paper away. Um, but it was to do with this whole issue of getting scandalised. And it's not gossipy scandalised, it's being offended by people. So if you find yourself easily offended, I would say, go before God and examine yourself. Because you are actually the person that is out of line, not the other person. You're offended by what they are saying, which means it's cutting into your flesh. Um, because uh, the cross has got to come to the Christian's life. In one of Bob Mumford's little booklets, I probably mentioned it last week, um, he was at college with a guy, and, and this man was real evangelist, and he preached the full gospel, you know, the love of Jesus at the cross of Christ, so that you were disciples. Met him about 10 years later. How's your message going? Oh, yeah, brilliant. But I've dropped the bit about the uh, cross because it affects the offering. And he said at that point, he was just absolutely gobsmacked. Because actually what we should do is to go deeper and deeper into what the gospel is really about. You know, full gospel, half a gospel, or a third of a gospel. It isn't come to Jesus and get your needs met. It's you need him. You need him. You, you know, like nobody's business. If we, if we never come to the realisation of how much we need saving, then we're not really, we're only just stepped over into the temple court, courts, as it were, because we are just, we are in so in need of redemption. And the initial um, believing and receiving forgiveness and, and coming into the kingdom is only that. But most often, the majority, uh, it's nominal believers because they've never actually gone in to recognizing no cross, no crown. And, and the emphasis these days is all on healing and not on the crucifixion. Devil and God have both got the same agenda. They both want to kill you off. One, because he wants to destroy you, but the other one, because he wants you to come through to resurrection life. But you can't take your old nature into resurrection life. It's got to be crucified. That thing has got to be dealt a blow and it's got to be kept down and out of the way because you cannot live in the resurrection, in the exchange life, without hanging on behind you. It's one thing or the other. So coming back to Naaman and uh, John, his first response to Elisha's command was to go away. Turned his back on the offending prophet. The truth, when it first comes, is always negative. We don't like it. In the same way, the followers of Jesus were offended. Do you remember when he said they must eat his flesh and drink his blood? I haven't worked that one out yet. He said that to them. And from that point, many walked away. Many turned back. Um... And I haven't worked out actually what he was talking about then. Roger Price says on one of his tapes, if you don't know what that means, then find out. And I'm thinking, I still don't know 20 odd years on. Never mind, I'll get a revelation one of these days. So, being scandalised starts with an unrealistic expectation. Um, good thing to have a look at 
how many unrealistic expectations you've got around. I often hear people saying, oh, well, you know, they're not meeting my needs and they're not doing this and the church is this and the church is that. Unrealistic expectation. There's someone I'm thinking of particularly who's at church on the way and they're always saying, we're still not, you know, they don't even notice our problems, they don't know the da-da-da-da. But who said they were there to meet their needs? The Church on the Way's function is, is a resource centre. It's not a pastoral church. So you can sit there as long as you like. They won't get any pastoral care because it isn't. That's not what its, it's function's about. So, you know, each expression of the body of Christ has got a different function, or it should have. Um, so... Yes, this is just a good thing to have a look and say, Father, am I offended somewhere? Um, and when we are, we isolate ourselves and we actually depart then from active fellowship with God. That's where it comes down to. We draw away from God himself because he is asking something that we do not want to do and it leads to us wanting to go our own way and we're on a hiding to nothing. Uh, I was just looking at this where um, Bob Mumford's little thing of me on giving and receiving offence and he said um, that when he was a young Christian he came to Christ when he was 12 um, but his father had several rough and rather uneducated men who worked for him in the construction business and they began a concentrated and intentional effort to harass, persecute and undermine the joy I was experiencing in this most dramatic conversion. As the mocking, mimicking and harassment continued day after day, I had no one who could help me interpret what was happening. Frustrated, angry and full of resentment, I stood in the middle of the street and told God very boldly, I do not want to be a Christian. I do not want to live like this. Take your presence from me so I can live my own life. And then I walked away. When I returned to the Father 12 years later from being backslidden, I came back like a heat-seeking missile. <laughs> Something in my heart had changed and I didn't even want to say no to him for any reason on any occasion. Now, 63 years later, I have some spiritual insight into the nature of the drama and the cause of my response and reaction. I was becoming what scripture calls offended. Offence causes us to want to say no. It was an offence to me as a young man to be so harassed and rejected because of what I believed, so I chose to deny, refuse and then distance myself from that which was causing the pain. And that's the essence of the problem. That we deny, refuse and distance ourselves from the pain because pain there will be when God starts to deal with our lives. There is no shortcut to it. It will be painful. Uh, as we looked at the camel, you know, going through the eye of the needle. It's got to get down on its knees. It's got to have all its stuff taken off its back. It's got to be shoved through the hole. But once it's shoved through the hole, it can have it all back again. But it's got to be stripped from us first. And all our opinions and ideas and self-righteousness and all this stuff, we really do need to recognise who we actually are and be honest and come out of denial about you know the things that uh, God's speaking to us about. And in these days, um, the purification is starting with the bride. And it's not 
as a cause of, it's not as, as a thing for criticism. I said to the Lord this morning, no, he said to me, he said, why do you think that you don't see correctly? And I said, because I don't like what I see, and I don't want to think that I'm seeing it, because I don't like, if this is making any sense at all, I don't like to be seeing these things, because I don't want to become critical and judgmental. And he was virtually saying, nevertheless, you are seeing what you are seeing, and it is right. It's what I do with it that's the important thing. When he shows me something, which he often does, about someone's life, they may try to that you, you can try to pull the wool over my eyes, beloved, until the cows come home, but God will show me. He has this way of telling me what's going on. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to have that thought. No, no, I'm going to think positive. I'm no, I'm not going to have that thought. And, and eventually I realize that it is part of my calling because the, the, the scripture that is my foundational one almost is I've made you an assayer and a tester of metals and my people the ore. And what that means is he shows me into the heart of the situation, not because he has come to criticize, but because he has come to redeem. He is a redeeming God. does not matter how base the thing is that he is revealing. It's redemptive in his revelation. So we sit on our little secrets thinking nobody knows what's going on and they're up in the little room up here there's it's all being unveiled and revealed and I'm just waiting for someone to come and say to me I've got this problem yeah I know it's good isn't it shall we do something about it that's it because that's what he's doing that was what that word is about he's purifying the bride he's been warning he's going to do it for years and years and years and years the prophetic voice has been saying you know Put your house in order, straighten up, get into line, get into alignment. And now God's saying, come in ready or not. Because he loves us. Because it's all about what that girl was talking about there. Um, it, it's out of love for us. Um, there, was a, a, there was a prophetic, sung prophetic word some years ago. One of the, um, oh dear, New Frontiers um, camps and this girl was singing that he was the, the father has been gathering 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 uh, people from every tribe and nation a bride for his son and it, it's it's only a little short little thing in the middle of a, one of the cds but it's absolutely beautiful that the father is gathering a bride for his son and guess what where it says in a revelation that the bride has made herself ready hello bride you're making yourself ready by your choices. You are getting prepared because as Anne and I were talking about, you never know when the bridegroom's going to come. He's such a romantic that he comes in the middle of the night and scoops her up and takes her away when his father says, okay, son, the, the place is finished. It's time to go. Get your bride. So you get your wise and your foolish virgins. You want your trunk and ready. The only thing that is important in this life is how you see your relationship with God. 
That is all that is important. Nothing else is of major importance. That is your number one. How you see him, how you relate to him, because out of that flows everything you do in your life. If anything else has got that prime spot, I'll tell you what, it's going to come and take it away. It's the law of uh, reduction. You know, He will reduce you. Because he will have first place in your affections. You're going to marry the man, for goodness sake. <laughs> and he's not coming back, as Graham says, for an acne-ridden old hag. And he isn't coming back for a lukewarm church. He's coming back for one that is on fire. And the world will be glad to see the back of us because we'll be causing them so much trouble. Not to mention the asshole will be causing the enemy as well along the way. Uh, and uh, the purification that is going on now is starting from the top down. I'm beginning to, I have prayed that God will send me leaders. Because who's going to speak into leaders' lives? Uh, and he started to do that. Um, and, uh, and it's not pretty. When you hear about leaders uh, who just go off once or twice every couple of months, maybe across to France uh, to have a prostitute. It's not good. And then they come back and they're God's man of power for the hour. God is not going to continue. He's not blessing that thing now. What is happening is it's man's fleshy effort. I think it was in that word. You know, that a lot of what passes for wheat in the body of Christ is actually chaff. Uh, and, and it's going to cause a major explosion when these things are being exposed and uncovered. But that's at the top level. It is going on, uh, and it's not good. God is not condemning. As he said, this is not condemnation. This is purification, and it's two different things. That's why always when we come into something, we have to find out who's doing what to whom. Is this you? Is this the devil? It's most likely that you're reaping what you've sown. That is most likely the thing. I mean, with my, I'll be honest, with my son, I'm now reaping what I sowed when he was little. Because I loved him to bits, I let him get away with it. Uh, my pastor, David, said to me, once your son won't rest till he's had every penny out of you. And I thought, I don't like that. But actually, that is what happened. But God told me to give it him. But he'd still have more if there was more to, to take. But see, I'm reaping now what I sowed then in lack of discipline. I did not discipline him enough. I did not say no to him enough. Um, so I can only see it in hindsight, it being the perfect science. Uh, young Kate was over here from um, Frinton some a month or six weeks ago and her children she said they are they're three and five i think and she said it's horrendous they're running the place but i'd already picked up having very acute hearing uh that she gave the three-year-old choice all the time about what she should eat what she should wear where she should you know. She didn't hold her on reins or even hold her hand when they were out in the street because she thought that she knew not to run out in the street. And there had been an incident where the child had just run. She's like Quicksilver, this little one. Sweet little thing she is. Uh, but she's fast. And Kate could not understand how this child didn't 
know that she should stay by the pram. Um, and there was incidents like this. So I said to her, look, love, I've got no wisdom, but I think you should pray and ask the Lord what you should do. She came down with a full scrap sheet, which I typed up for her, of instructions from God. And the first one was, you tell them what to do. They don't tell you. So when you say it's bedtime, they go. They don't help themselves to the fridge. They don't turn the television on. They do not have help themselves to DVDs. They do none of these things. You know, and so it went on. Uh, and uh, I said, your husband's going to be delighted. Well, she went home with this list. And within 48 hours, the whole thing had turned around because she was, they were, t I said, you're letting them take authority over you. When you're the ones that are supposed to be looking after the children. I mean, it's in one generation it's gone like this. It's turned right round. And, of course, it started with all this children's rights business, you know, where kids can... You can't smack your children and all this and that. The fact that they can be ritually abused by Satanists is neither here nor there. It's so upside down and ridiculous, you've never heard anything like it. But anyway, and also the Lord said, no second chances. Don't say, if I have to tell you again, it's, I'm going to tell you once, if you don't do it, it's a spoon. Just like that. In the way you go. It never depart. That's it. That's it. You cannot, you know, we can rationalize and make excuses for our own behavior, and so we pass it on to our children. We don't actually face up. Like, you know, I mean, I got faced up with this thing with Stephen because he rules me by his temper, or has done in the past. And some of you know that a couple of years ago, I think it was, they wanted me to go to Disney. <laughs> Sarah knows the full story. And somehow or other, somehow or other, I, I got to say yes and realized that I didn't want to go to Disney. So I wrestled with this for months about how to say I didn't want to go. So eventually, within a couple of weeks of going, I finally got my courage up and went up there one afternoon and said, look, I'm not actually going to come. And I have got my reasons, but I'm not prepared to go into them. I mean, one of them was I wasn't going to get involved in all that demonic stuff that is in Disney, so I just wasn't going to get involved in all that. I thought it would take me months to get back to the position I was if I go and wash myself in that lot. So that was that. Stephen immediately said, are you sick? So I said, no. Michelle looked at me like she was frozen, and I thought, I don't think I'm going to get away with this one. <laughs> I'm reaping again what I've sown, you see. So for three months, Michelle didn't speak to me at all. At least three months, Christmas came and went. This was the November, October, November time Christmas came and went. But in that time, Stephen phoned me, and I thought, this is it. He said... Um, you know, you, you, you really need to think about uh, other people and not about yourself all the time. Um, and you need, to, you need to do stuck to what you said you were going to do. Um, he said, when I get to 60, he said, I shall feel I can make up my own mind about what I'm going to do and I'll be able to say no if I want to say no. I said, well, sweetheart, you have just hit your, the nail on the head. I am 70 and I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and he just shut up like that. 
It was like God had finally, and he said to me, you're broken through. I just, I thought, I, this time, dear, no is the answer, no is what I mean, and you're not manipulating me by your anger or your showing off or anything else. Come, absolutely emotional blackmail, my friend has just said. Uh, I'm not having it. Um, and I felt I popped through something. Um, uh, subsequently, Michelle did uh, start to talk to me again, but we were on very silent. For, uh, but Stephen has been different. He knows that he'd gone far enough that time. Um, but it's, it's taken me all that time to actually, because I loved him so much, he was so precious, I, I didn't want to actually say no to him. So I bent over backwards. <laughs> and I felt, I felt bad. I, I lived, oh God, sowing and reaping. It is a law. Like if I drop something on the floor, it uh, drops something, it will fall. And the law of sowing and reaping is such a spiritual law that I cannot tell you. You'll sow a seed and you reap a harvest. So your first thing when God starts to speak to you, you need to really say, excuse me, but am I reaping what I've sown here? Because how can I how can I say crop failure on it, you know? I do not want a crop from what I've been sowing into the ground here. I don't want a crop on it. Need to ask questions. Um, and you were saying, Sue, about was that spiritual warfare? I thought it was spiritual warfare. no. Um, I'm going to be quite cruel here. One, you have to be. Uh, what's the words I want, Lord? You have to be in a pretty strong position with God for the devil to come and play with you. Because while he's got most of your life, he doesn't need. He's not going to fight you on an area you've given him already. Uh, because he's got it. If he's got you in disobedience in some area, he's not going to be, you're no target. Because you're not actually obeying God, so you're right in his territory anyway. It's when you start to make a decision, you're going all the way, June has. June has said, I'm going the whole piece, I'm going the whole way. And now she's starting to get some spiritual warfare. That's what the sickness is. It hit her suddenly. I said, anybody else in the family? No. Just you? Yeah. Eat the same as them? Yeah. So she's learning about the fact that if she starts to really say, I'm going for it, Lord, that's when you attract the flack because you're going to become a danger to him. While we're half-hearted and semi in obedience and I'll do it tomorrow and I don't like that anyway, um... We're no problem to him. None at all. It's the squeaky cleanness that he can't stand. And that is what he will attack time and time and time again. Uh, but that's all for our strengthening as well. <laughs>